I once shot a man just to watch him die. Then I got distracted and missed it. All my friends tried to describe it to me, but it just isn't the same. Oh, well, you've got your own problems. Ignore me. From Toronto, Ontario, Canada, it's the Kids in the Hall, starring Dave Foley, Mark McKinney, Bruce McCaw, Lorraine Newman, musical guest, the Cranberries, and your host, Charles Barkley. Okay. Hi. Everybody, welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your problematic faves. I'm your host, uh, Brandon Beck. I'm confused, but I'm your other host, Beth Scorzato. Also, I didn't want to interrupt what I'm guessing was a fine bit up top. Um, But (laughs) when we did our countdown, I have both. I have... I have both cats in here with me this time, and when we did our countdown, per usual, Gil, no fucks to give about my clap. Kentucky gave me the, woke up and gave me the dirtiest look for disturbing her slumber (laughs) with my countdown clap. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm sure they probably wouldn't have liked my really uh, passable Don Pardo impression anyway. That probably would have freaked him out just as much. No, they're pretty used to you doing weird voices. That's true. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to the podcast. I think you'd be into it. Today's special guest. Um, no, our guest today, uh, you know him from all over the L.A. comedy scene. He runs a hundred different shows. You've probably done them. You've probably seen them. You've probably loved them. And if you haven't, you're going to love him. Our guest today is Cozy Orlin. Cozy, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, I think I did, like, three or four of your shows before we ever, like, properly met. That sounds right, and I love that. That's how I love meeting people, is through putting them up without having talked to them yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've definitely done a few shows like that, where somebody was just like, I need someone to be a mime in the background of my sketch today, and I was like, eh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> then I showed up, and I'm just like, I don't need to know who I'm supposed to be meeting. Just Let me just look for other mimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever works. That's the best part about comedy. I, yeah. I definitely love being in shows where I'll like shake the hand of another improviser on stage and be like, hey, we're meeting each other right now. Yeah. It's like, we did a set together two weeks ago. It killed. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I just, I, all improv, almost all improv shows I've ever seen, I have just immediately erased from my brain after seeing them, as improv should be. Yeah, no, we that happens to us when we do it, too. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's so fast and it's yeah. everything's ephemeral forever. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you the number of times uh, I tried to do like, you know, a postmortem on a show with uh, any of my various improv teams. And I've just been like, I can, what 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 did we even do? What what uh, we happened? Did seven <laughs> what scenes. just happened for the past 20 minutes? Does anybody yeah. know? Did we all black out collectively? <laughs> 
Is that our form? Yeah. Like, I played nine characters. <laughs> but, like... Was there a suggestion, or did we just wing it? <laughs> what was the suggestion? It was toothbrush, and we did a whole set about birds. <laughs> oh, too real. <laughs> I, I do, I do kind of think that, like, that is sort of an improv, like... Not defense mechanism, but if if you're not really remembering what had happened in a show afterwards, that probably meant you were incredibly present for that show, uh, which is how you want to be when you're doing improv. Oh, of course. I mean, I I understand that like you're you're busy listening and like actively listening and and like trying to think of the next thing, so your brain isn't necessarily like committing short term memory. <laughs> To, to memory but yeah let me tell you if you ever want notes after you if you ever need help with that postmortem, i will happily come back there and be like so <laughs> i really need the one of you that took it from toothbrush to birds to like explain your crimes yes how did you how did how did how did toothbrush make you think of birds because i don't know if i actually want the answer but i do want you to be punished otherwise no one <laughs> will ever learn yeah, you need to learn from your crimes <laughs> yeah after after doing a sketch show i find it's like a feeling of, hey, we pulled that off. We did all the things correctly. And after an improv show, it's like, what happened? Who who knows? Who could possibly tell us? Who am I? Where am I? What just happened? <laughs> yeah. This is not my beautiful suggestion. <laughs> well, speaking of sketch comedy and improv. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's probably going to happen if I bring up sketch. <laughs> probably. Uh, the Eternal War. Well, we, we are here to talk today about the... Uh, legendary Canadian sketch team, The Kids in the Hall, and their subsequent TV show and other things. But first, we need to talk about things we're into this week. Don't worry, I can go if you can't. Ooh, I mean, I've got one, but I want to see where this is going, Counselor. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's not really going anywhere. It's just just another thing I watched recently. I really enjoyed Hacks on HBO. I didn't know what it was when I started watching it, but, like, if Gene Smart doesn't get a fucking Emmy for that, like, what are we even doing? (laughs) Oh, so true. Yeah, like, I don't know. It was really good in a way that I was, like, not expecting because I went into it totally blind. I just needed something to watch. Um the the woman who's playing the younger girl i'm sorry i do not know the actress's name also doing a phenomenal job i think the writing is really smart and i think that the way that it was shot especially in regards to like the comedy and stand-up sections is really innovative in a way that um i just i think the show's really well done and i can it's over now there's there's a whole season is done they already ordered a new one go watch it hbo max mm-hmm. that's what i'm into this week hacks the uh the actress who plays the ava is the young yes. woman's name that that would be hannah einbinder oh yeah right. well she's rad too she's she's doing a great job the show is created by paul w downs lucia aniello and jen statsky who i think are all like real seasoned uh comedy writers who have worked on like all the all the good shows mm, absolutely new york folks i love it i was just listening to a podcast where lucia was being interviewed actually oh what podcast was that that was uh high and mighty with uh john gabris what's up fuck boys it's your boy it's your boy <laughs> nailed it <laughs> what's but... up shitheads i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do the rest of the episode as gabris oh i'm so ready for this please don't please don't <laughs> All right, so uh, the kids yeah. in the hall, man, they're fun. There's... Those guys are mad funny, right? Oh my god, they're from Long Island, right? They're from Long Island. We used to watch them all the time. I'm like, these guys are Canadians? No, they're they're, they're like Long Island funny. Um, uh, yeah. The there's also some really sick LA burns um mm. near the end of the season, which I have spoken before to this on the show, but like 
I love nothing more than like a really good burn on LA because we absolutely 100% deserve it. <laughs> um, oh yeah. But it's also one of those things where it's like, you know, nobody gets to make fun of my brother, but me. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but when it's in a show that was clearly shot here, like there's a scene where she's, I know 100% the bar that they shot this in. I know where this is. So like, I know it's in LA. It's in Silver Lake. Like they, they had it set up like it was a fake coffee shop, but it was just, it was just Stella. There's that whole scene at the Ha Ha. Yeah. Oh, there's also a whole scene at the Ha Ha Club, but it was meant to be in the show. It's meant to be in Sacramento, but because I'm me, I'm watching this whole episode and I just keep thinking if she's home in LA why is she not visiting anybody why is that like not part of the story and then like after the episode finished I was like Beth you dumbass it's because they were in Sacramento and you're just thinking they're in North Hollywood because you know where it is <laughs> but anyway so there was like like she came she comes home and and she was like I would like a uh, coffee with like elderberry syrup and oat milk and like the girl of course without backing and I was like great that's gonna be twelve seventy five. and she was like yes I would love to pay you twelve seventy five for that which I just like had that experience after coming back from being in florida for three weeks i was out at some restaurant out in santa monica with my friend it was just the only place where the kitchen was still open and it was like fucking sitting in a dj's taint and everybody was like super hip and weird and i'm looking at the menu and i'm like nothing on this menu is a thing that anyone would want to eat and i'm meh on all of it so i'm just gonna pay like 17 dollars for some fucking brussels sprouts and you know what though it warms my heart because it means i'm home like, <laughs> i was like this is so dumb we deserve every joke anybody's ever written about us oh lord yes it's so true <laughs> absolutely the 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 thing that is really impressing me about gene smart uh on that show and, and and we all know she's a phenomenal actress that's never been in question but like it just throughout the history of TV and film about comedians, mm. uh, many many brilliant actors have tried to play stand-ups, and more often than not, you can just tell right away that they're not. You know, like you can just sort of tell. You can tell the difference between someone who is like a like, oh, this person is born to be on jokes on stage telling jokes. Versus, like, this is this is a very good actor who's trying to do this thing that isn't necessarily their art, but the uh, the point is to make it look like they're really good at it. Like, uh, like, like Tom Hanks in that uh, whatever whatever movie that was, Punchline. I think so. Yeah, where where the comedians have lockers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's why I loved Obvious Child so much. I was like, Jenny Slate is just nailing this. Yeah, and like Berbiglia's movie. Oh yeah, Sleepwalk with Me. Yeah. Oh, and don't think twice. Both of his his movies about being different types of comedians uh, really nail it. Yeah, like get Gethard in there, of course. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I I saw uh, Don't Think Twice here in L.A. and we'd been we'd left New York probably three four years earlier, mm. and I hadn't and I'd sort of been disconnected from the improv scene. But like that movie was like. Oh my god, that's exactly what it felt like. <laughs> but getting back to Jean Smart, um she she really captured it. Like she you wouldn't know that she wasn't a, a tried and true stand-up. There there's a scene at the top of I don't remember what episode it is, but it's one of I the think last it's like 6 or 7. Yeah, it's in the last little 
stretch of them. There's select scenes I made him watch. There's I made him watch that one, and there's a scene, the scene that does take place in the Ha Ha Club, uh, which if anybody has seen the show will know. I don't want to ruin it because it's, oh my God. We'll call it the negotiation. It's incredible. It's an incredible scene. And that was the one where I was just like, if we don't give Gene Smart an Emmy, what the fuck are we doing right now? Um, it was. It's incredible. And uh, you should go watch it. <laughs> and I made him watch just that scene. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's, I don't remember which, which episode it is, but uh, there, it's the opening is her on stage uh, just doing one of her bits. And you see her do it like, seven or eight different times uh where it just like cross dissolves between her in different outfits so it's like you can tell it's different days for people who aren't familiar with the premise gene smart is playing a stand-up like a legendary stand-up who has been doing a nightly show at a casino in vegas for like 40 years and at the beginning of the season she's leading up to what we see in the finale of the season which is her 5000th show um so she does this same exact set every single night for 25 years <laughs> you see her do that basically and like it's really impressive to see how like specifically can like consistent her body language was and like performance beats it was just so it's so impressive how like well studied and considered it was well still seeming natural is really what the key is because she's a theater actress she knows how to hit the same mark every night yeah and knows how to <laughs> like even though when when you're on stage you're not maybe directly interacting with the audience but you're you're still working the crowd even if you're an actor in a play yeah but you also have to keep in mind that when she shot those stand-up scenes that we're seeing she was 100 percent on a soundstage oh yeah absolutely but anyway, yeah, obviously Brandon was into it too this week. But what are you actually into this week? Uh, the thing I'm actually into this week um, is Loki, uh, the new uh, Disney Plus Marvel Jam. We're two episodes into it uh, when we're recording. Uh, so by the time you hear this, the whole series will have aired. Y'all, it's it's real good. Um, and it's, it's scratching some itches for the B-Man that... Uh, WandaVision was apparently really only scratching the surface. Um, the show is essentially, they've taken Loki. Um, if you saw uh, Avengers Endgame, I believe it was the last one, there's a part where Loki like suddenly can just grab a Tesseract and just kind of like poofs out of the room. Uh, we follow that Loki, who was the Loki from the, the time of the first Avengers movie. Uh, so not the like, you know, more nuanced, uh, better person, uh, version that, you know, developed over the next 10 films or however many it was. He's still a little shit. Oh yeah. He's still an absolute little shit. Um, but he's, he's still very much in his like arrogant, you know, I'm the best person in, in the universe sort of mode. Um, and it basically just puts him into Brazil, but with time travel, and, uh, it is the coolest aesthetic I've seen in a TV show in so long. Um, most of the episodes are, so far have just been him and Owen Wilson, uh, just, like, talking in, like, cafeterias and <laughs> elevators and stuff, and Tom Hiddleston, like, monologuing, and then Owen Wilson being like, Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, you like to talk. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Plus some Eugene Cordero, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Eugene Cordero's nice. in there with, and this this is a sort of a spoiler, but not really, with a desk full of Infinity Stones. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so weird to see someone that I used to see work the door at UCB yeah. Chelsea getting uh, credited billing in a Marvel show and having a desk full of Infinity Stones. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's, um, the production design is incredible. It's this really, like, retro, uh, because a lot of it takes place in the, the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, which is just sort of like the people that make sure the timeline doesn't get too fucky. Uh, and so all of their, like. time cops. Yeah, time cops, <laughs> basically. And, and all of the design of the place is, it's like. It's this brutalist architecture, but with like retro like monitors and like one of somebody's keyboard was actually a drum machine. <laughs> um, it's just the aesthetic is so good and like the sort of world I just want to live in. Like I just I just want to walk around that office building. I don't care if I see you know Loki or Owen Wilson really. But like the show has elements of like. It's felt like Doctor Who, but uh, way better at certain points. It's felt like a little bit of, like, Sherlock in there. But, like, it's really this, like, I think it was the AV Club had a piece about how this show sort of finishes the transition from Loki being a grandiose villain into being essentially the Daffy Duck of the MCU. <laughs> who, like, exists to just be smacked around by the universe uh, and constantly put in his place. Um, and they specifically said, it, like, if it's like Loki doing duck amuck, And, like, that is such a cool vibe. And there's, like, a lot of theremin in the score. It's it's very aesthetic. It's very Brandon's aesthetic. Oh, yeah. I'm, I am very much enjoying it because I get into, like, the, like, fucky psychological character shit like after we watched it last night i was talking to you about like the difference between a lived history and under like protecting history and understanding lived history yeah because i the kind of person that like has a bunch of think pieces that i don't put out in the world because um no one needs that (laughs) but like that's what my brain does after i watch a show but like don't don't do that people no one needs to read them wouldn't they mostly just sort of boil down to like guys fucking cut it out no. <laughs> yeah, fair. Not even a little bit. You nerds are, you nerds are overthinking this. Well, no, no, no. You're, you're talking about a different thing. You're talking about people who want to overanalyze it for comic book reasons. And yes, absolutely. You guys are really just overanalyzing it. Like, forget what the comics did. They've spent 10 years trying to make it clear that this is a separate and distinct storytelling universe and you guys just keep trying to say but what about this one thing that happened in the 80s and like i work in comics y'all it's fuck you're fine it's fine okay (laughs) i actually got an assistant editor um at dc mad at me once when i worked there because he was like freaking out and i told him to calm down because when the apocalypse comes the engineers are going to eat us because we're not good for anything (laughs) (laughs) he got really i was like comics are not important like like we get to we are very privileged to get to work in this insane stupid completely unnecessary media (laughs) um i love it i love comics but like relax it's it's not life or death we're not saving anyone's life with superman well that's not true i don't mean in an existential sense (laughs) i mean in a literal sense whatever i have a lot of feelings about comics is my point and i have a lot of feelings about characterization um so my thesis for the think piece would not be you're overthinking it nerds it would be oh what i was talking to you about last night it would be the difference of experiencing history versus understanding history 
Gotcha. I, I'm 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 on board with you now. That uh, that actually leads to the the other thing I was gonna uh, say that I loved so much and does sort of speak to your point. And I won't spoil it, but uh, the jet ski monologue in episode two is just chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. So yeah, that's uh, that's the thing I'm into uh, this week. Uh, Loki on Disney Plus, the same service where you can go watch old. Uh, black and white footage of Disney parks and Roy Clark on the Muppet show. <laughs> That's right. Disney plus amazing. Uh, I just took a lift this week and someone I got in, someone's like, you look like lucky. And I was like, what are you talking? Oh, <laughs> got it. <laughs> yeah, you, look, you look like that guy Lockheed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I was like, sure. Yeah. I'll take that compliment. Why not? <laughs> hey, look at you. You're Thor's boyfriend or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But so, uh, Thor's boyfriend, what are you into this week? Uh, let's see. This week, I'm listening to the album "Gami Gang" by Origami Angel, which dropped in late April. I don't. I uh, those all those words are new to me. Go on. Go on. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I love. Yeah. No, I'm super super into all the newest uh, punk and weird emo shit coming out all the time. And uh, Origami Angel is a band that all the kids like lost their shit over in 2019 when Somewhere City came out, which is an amazing fucking record. It's technical. It's weirdly positive. It's very self-aware. And it's like, I don't know. There's not a lot of emo out there that's like positive. And this one's like, hey, I'm your friend and we'll be fucking fine. You know? (laughs) And so everyone who's like, you know, young right now and is experiencing the depression that everybody in this and uh, and that next generation is experiencing is like, oh, we needed a record to make us feel better. <laughs> I I missed emo completely full stop. So like amazing. Yeah, uh, it drives me crazy because I did not. <laughs> and um, so we have absolutely none of the same musical cultural touchstones <laughs> for like shit we listened to in high school. Oh, no. Because like I'll really fucking solid black parade joke and he will be like i don't what oh that's a tragedy oh it is a tragedy (laughs) and like all of my jokes about osric tentacles go right over her head (laughs) i showed him a fucking fire meme that was just a a joke on um i write sins not tragedies and he didn't Mm. get it i had to send it to my best friend from high school (laughs) yeah i mean that's why we have best friends from high school right (laughs) yeah and i was like brandon didn't get that and he was like of course he didn't (laughs) Which is why I'm I'm subscribed to the John Fish meme account, and you're not. <laughs> yeah, and yet you send them to me anyway. Like I'm gonna understand what they are. <laughs> I mean, through context, you could probably probably figure it out. It's weird. I some I often feel that way myself because I'm probably the only person I know who keeps up with modern punk and emo. Like everyone else, kind of just listens to whatever they listened to in high school, which was beautiful music. But I am every single day. I'm like an A and R person. Where I can't fucking stop listening to new music. <laughs> I I mean I'm I'm on that same train with jam bands. Like n- no one in their right mind in the year 2021 should be excited about new and upcoming jam <laughs> bands. But I tell you, I'm on that goose train. Uh, I'm on that pigeons playing ping pong train. Oh, that's amazing. Billy Strings. <laughs> oh man, there's there's a ah, eh, Billy Strings is fine. Um, but Goose. Oh yeah, give me some Goose. Oh, I'm so glad that all the names are lining up with String Cheese Incident and like my yep. knowledge of my very small knowledge of jam bands. I'm like, okay, as long as they keep that tradition alive. 
Oh yeah, that absolutely has not changed. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> there's there's Twiddle. Uh, there was there was Reptar for a little bit. Yeah, there there's oh god, there's so many acoustic hookah, uh, <laughs> which isn't which is neither of those words are spelled remotely close to how they're supposed to be spelled. Perfect. Um, but in ways that will surprise you. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's 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 great. What are some other like sort of newer newer emo hits? Uh, if say the kids wanted to check out uh, what the emo seems up to these days, and and aside from Goose, yeah, in terms of like really good fifth wave and like weed emo and stuff like that. Oh, is that the wave we're on these days? That is the wave that we're on. There was a little bit of disagreement for a second. People weren't sure if we were okay to go past fourth wave. But everyone's like, you know what? Fine, we'll do it. Yeah, that's that's like we're, no one's really sure if we've switched from fish 3.0 to 4.0 <laughs> uh, due to the for, uh, uninfo- uh, you know unforced hiatus. Yeah, un- well, you know, it, that's the thing is you just kind of have to fake it until people kind of are on the same page, I think. Uh, in terms of new shit, I would say Palette Knife just put out a record called Ponderosa Snake House and the Chamber of Bullshit, which is... Also, very bouncy, fun, like Twinkly Fifth Wave, which is pretty much all that I care about. I'm I'm gonna need you to give me that name one more time because that that sounds like a Primus song. I know, right? Yeah, no. Uh, the band's called Palette Knife, and the record is called Ponderosa Snake House and the Chamber of Bullshit. Uh, I guess a Harry Potter <laughs> joke, <laughs> sort of. That oh my god, that is, and also a reference to the Ponderosa Steakhouse. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so much deeper than I ever could get to it. And like every single song from every fucking emo Midwest emo band right now is just a dumb play on words. Like Origami Angels <laughs> songs are like Neutrogena Spectre, and just like it's all there. <laughs> it's so dumb. Wow. Like no, that's that's why it all feels so punk is because everyone's a fucking idiot. No one cares anymore. It's great. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, totally. Um, I'm I'm now just uh, I'm on my uh, nugs.net account, <laughs> which is the uh, str- basically the live streaming jam band uh, Spotify. Perfect. And I've just been looking at 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 who's been playing recently, and we've got cool names like Sun Squabby. Okay. Uh, we got Aqueous. Uh, we got uh, Kitchen Dwellers. Oh, I like it! I like it. We got Dopapod, but Dopapod have been around for a while. Dopapod's not new, mm. uh, as opposed to Twiddle uh, <laughs> and, and their friend the Jamplo Man. <laughs> but speaking of things that have been around for a while and are making a comeback... We're here today to talk about The Kids in the Hall, uh, which is the name of both a sketch comedy troupe uh, from Canada, from the 80s, and their sort of ep- eponymous TV show, which uh, came from a term that I want to say Sid Caesar used. Whoever did your show of shows, um, where he would, whenever he needed jokes, uh, he'd just ask, like, oh, let's just get one, get, get one from the kids in the hall, which were just like the writers. Oh, uh, wait, no, I, I read this on Wikipedia earlier. Hold on. <laughs> it was, I don't remember if it was him. But it wasn't about it wasn't about needing a joke. It was when it was Sid Caesar, and it was if a joke didn't go over or played worse than expected, he would attribute it to the kids in the hall mm. who wrote his jokes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Referring to a group of young writers hanging around the studio. Mm. Yeah, it ah. was when his jokes bombed that he would blame it on the kids in the hall. <laughs> oh, okay. So it was inherently a burn. Which, yeah. Uh, wow that that actually uh, that says a lot. Uh, now that I'm noticing that, same with like they. 
they there's a really amazing book that came out about the kids in the hall a couple years ago. So good. I love that book. Oh, so good. Called uh, One Dumb Guy. And the and it comes from one of them saying that like, you know, as a individually we're all very smart, but as a group, we're just one dumb guy. And it's a gr- it's a great history. Um, if you like, really want to get in the weeds on like you know the origin of like climbing the stairs or oh. brain candy, the stuff about the like breakup period is really fascinating. Oh, it's also amazing. I went to the um, the signing of that at UCB and got to take a photo and nerd out with all those folks. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. It was That's really, really cool. Wonderful. I'll send it to you for promo stuff because it's Yay. me being awkward near Scott Thompson and Dave Foley and uh <laughs> Mike Myers' his brother who wrote the book. <laughs> I think Scott Thompson might live in our neighborhood because I've passed him on the street a couple times. That's certainly possible. There's a lot of comedy dudes that live in our neighborhood. So so the kids in the hall, um how did how did you find the show? And and what what attracted you to it um because we're 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 uh, roughly the same age and like when kids in the hall started airing was like if it was on the air from 89 to 95 they shot the pilot in 88 right i told you i read the wikipedia before the episode (laughs) killing it (laughs) so like i would i would have been three when the show started airing and like seven when it ended, but I saw it as a teen in like endless reruns on Comedy Central. Yeah, I saw it as a as a kid uh, watching Comedy. I'm 36. I watched it as a kid on Comedy Central, full of endless reruns, and it entirely shaped my sense of humor. Um, the reason that I'm doing what I'm doing today is from watching a million reruns of British Who's Line and a million reruns of Canadian Kids in the Hall. That's my God. sketch and improv history. And so we have literally the same history. <laughs> I love it. That makes me so happy. Yeah, it's it's it was my favorite show for the longest time and easily my favorite sketch show. Like SNL had so many problems to me and I honestly can't even believe that the same guy is behind it in any way. <laughs> I don't know how much I would attribute the success of Kids in the Hall to Lorne Michaels. But... Yeah, no. Thank goodness for that. Thank goodness he kept some hands off of it. <laughs> But yeah, um, when I was a kid, absurdism was all I wanted. I was a self-identifying fucking weird kid who, like, looked up to Gonzo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was my, those are my heroes, where any weird, like, Skeeter, like, any weirdo on television was my amazing, like, that was my heart. And so when I started watching this, I was just like, oh, this is the weirdest shit I've ever seen, and I want it forever. I feel like that happened to a lot of people kind of about our age um there yeah there was this beautiful period in the in the 90s where every afternoon uh comedy central would air i think two episodes of kids in the hall and then either before or after an old like usually like sandler farley spade era uh uh, or Hartman era, really, uh, <laughs> SNL, or occasionally a little earlier. Yeah, that was basically the last season of SNL I liked. <laughs> yeah, that I kind of may be same, but I also don't really know how, how much I can judge a lot of that stuff. It's just been so long since I've seen it. Oh, sure. No, definitely at the time. Like, I, I have no idea how well it holds up or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, like, it, 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 it was so... Like, in hindsight, that's an odd pairing of shows especially in the afternoon 
Uh, <laughs> but that was also back when Comedy Central had sort of a dearth of uh, original programming. So oh yeah, it was all eighties movies. Oh yeah, they filled it with that and like my boyfriend's back and oh, Clue. So good. Um, and and I am not. I know that sounded dismissive, but I am not slagging on Clue in the fucking slightest. Clue rules. Oh no, all those all those eighties movies were so beautiful back in the day. I grew up on just endless endless reruns of like Top Secret. <laughs> oh yeah, forever and like. Um, what's it called? Uh, Zapped, which is a terrible movie, mm-hmm. but it should yeah. exist in our brains. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, or like Pin Gillette screaming at you. <laughs> that, <laughs> <Yes>. that... <laughs> Up now, an American werewolf in London. Oh, wow. That was a terrible Pin Gillette. Mm, um, I bought it. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 yeah, you knew what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, that, that those two shows tonally could not be more different. And... I, I honestly think that that might be like the earliest in the day you could see absurdism. <laughs> so like, I mean, it depends what kind, I guess. Like Saturday morning cartoons, maybe. <laughs> that's true, but that's sort of like more kind of like adult, mm. and not even like adult is right, but like just kind of like way weirder and like kind of the same that same vibe that like '90s Conan had of just like. This is weird, and we're not entirely going to explain ourselves. Thank but like, goodness. We, we have a specific vibe and tone. Yeah, it was very Canadian in tone. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Which, like, <laughs> SNL has never really had that. Like, oh. it, it, the, it has, like, a consistent tone of, like, the, it, that it's SNL, so it's going to be safe-ish. Good lord, yeah. And plus, like... So many like celebrity parodies where Kids in the Hall never even touched celebrity parodies for the most part. Like there wasn't a lot of physicality on Kids in the Hall. It had like a, it had a, a deadpan absurdism that made characters interesting. Like I hate characters. I'm not a character person. Yeah. In sketch, I like situations. And I was like, why do I love Kids in the Hall and hate SNL? And I was like, well, the characters don't feel broad in Kids in the Hall, even when they are because they're so deadpan and kind of more vulnerable. And I was like, yeah. if it's restrained, it works, I guess is how my brain processed it. <laughs> I, you know, I, th- I think vulnerability might be, might be the right word. Yeah. Cause I was thinking of like the chicken lady and I was like, why did I like that character? That's an, obs- that's an insane over the top character. And then I was like, no, at the end of the sketch, she was alone in her apartment, sad, no matter what. Yeah. I, I, I was always sad it didn't work out for her and that drummer guy who's got big arms because he drums, eh? Yes. And, like, Chicken Lady feels like one of the more kind of, like, SNL-ready characters from Kids in the Hall if you yeah. sort of look at it. But then it's – you're right. It's it's much – it's sadder and it's a little more – it feels a little more real. Yeah, that's really all I want out of comedy all the time. So it makes perfect sense to me. And And the reason that I stopped watching – SNL was like the Will Ferrell seasons and stuff where like Molly Shannon was falling into a bunch of like uh, music stands all the time. And I was like, yeah, I'm not. A, I guess I'm just not looking for op- awkward, obnoxious physical comedy. Yeah, it, that doesn't do much for me. No, nor should it. Oh, uh, we talked about this a little bit in Mr. Show episode, but I have kind of like I don't I don't know. I'm a hard laugh. I'm a hard laugh. Like, yes, they're sketch comedy to, to me. I don't know, like, so much of sketch comedy growing up that I associated with was, like, not Mr. Show. It was not Kids in the Hall. It was not, like, the good stuff. It was, you know, that era of SNL that just, like, felt really forced and misogynistic. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, like, yeah. really just, like, 
I, I don't know. So like for a long time when people were like, oh, we're going to we're going to do some sketches or do some skits, as people say, <laughs> I was just like, this just feels bad. Mm. Feels bad, man. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the same reason so many people hate improv. They just see a lot of the sort of awful stuff. And like the improv that you that like you can see is, you know, depending on the time, British Who's Line or American Who's Line, really. I did see a lot of Americans Who's Line. I didn't even know British Who's Line was a thing, really, until I was in college. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's fair. And started dating Brandon, and he felt the need to tell me. <laughs> yeah, I was I was lucky. My parents would take me to a lot of improv shows around, like, whenever we would travel. in, Like, when we went to Boston, my parents would take me to whatever the local short-form team was. When we went to Phoenix, we saw them. Like, I've been doing improv since I was nine and so I've been taking workshops for that entire time, pretty much. It's very weird. <laughs> I mean, I grew up doing theater, just not, you know, imp- I mean, we did improv in that, like, we did some short form games as, like, acting exercises. And, like, we all had that one friend who was, like, the improv friend who had, like, watched a lot of Who's Line and, like, decided that that was his thing, even though he had no concept of what improv really was. I had one of those, yeah. And you married him. <laughs> No, no, this is not about you. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) Oddly enough, two of the kids in the hall did wind up working on SNL Mm. at at various different points. We should actually describe who the kids in the hall are. We've we've been talking for a good little while and kind of haven't done that. Mm. So yeah, tell me, tell me, boys. Tell me, boys, of these other white boys. (laughs) (laughs) Shockingly enough, an old sketch comedy show where there were zero women. What a shock, right? Mm -hmm. I looked at all the old ones and went, oh no, this is a terrible pattern. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's just like we we watched some old SCTV recently and there is a shocking amount of casual brown and yellow face in that show. Oh no. Oh, bummer. Yeah. That's so rough. But yeah, so the kids in the hall, uh, it's five guys, Bruce McCullough, Scott Thompson, Kevin McDonald, Mark McKinney, and Dave Foley. Um, I think out of all of them, Dave Foley has probably had the most, like, recognizable success. Oh, absolutely. Outside of Kids in the Hall. He he starred on news radio. Well, he's the one that most people who maybe aren't familiar with sketch comedy would maybe recognize from something. Yeah. He's, he's the person who has... Outside of the show, the rest of the guys, I think, have done more work in like voiceover and writing stuff. I would say he's the one who outside of the show has done the most acting that people would have seen. Yeah, unless I guess unless we're in Canada, in which case Bruce McCullough seems to have taken over. <laughs> That's true. But I'm, I'm saying for like a casual. Yeah. Like somebody who talking about especially the time when they were doing this, you know, like Dave, you don't get news radio without kids in the hall. Well, and McKinney was on uh, Superstore. Yeah, that's the the more recent, oh, the yeah. more recent stuff. Definitely for him, I'm glad he's getting a little bit more love. I mostly knew Dave Foley because he was the voice of Pleakley in Lilo and Stitch. Amazing, Kevin McDonald. Oh, was he? Yep, that's Kevin McDonald. I thought Dave Foley was no. It's him and David Ogden Steers or Steers, uh, aka oh. Winchester from Mash. Uh, and also Cogsworth. But there there was an episode of the Lilo and Stitch cartoon. Where they all appear, yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, all of Pleakley's family show up, and it's just the other four. Aw. Though, no, what you were thinking was Dave Foley was Flick in Bug's Life. Yes. Mm. So there was, like, lots of Dave Foley voiceover in the Disney parks, which, like... The weird overlap of me simultaneously being a Pixar kid and also someone who, as like a nine-year-old, loved kids in the hall, <laughs> was uh, was fun. Oh sure, no. When when Invader Zim had uh, had Kevin McDonald on it, I was insane. I was going insane. 
Oh, yeah, I, f- I forgot he was on that. That show was oh, that show was so good. Such a good show. Oh my god. What were some of your favorite like kids in the hall like sketches and, and characters? Because so much of what makes their show interesting is I think the sort of the execution of it mm. because it has this like most sketch shows are either on stage or they're all filmed um and it's kind it's kind of not really much crossover or or even something like you know key and peel which would have the on stage bits right those were kind those weren't like sketches that was just kind of like hosting stuff uh whereas like kids in the hall was equal parts sketches that were shot on stage like in front of a live audience and these little like short films yeah along with those like nice audience monologue moments yeah i love those solo sort of sketches those are nice to see what appealed to you about those um they just felt really personal they felt very honest and they felt like you're kind of being let in sure even you know even when it was scott thompson doing like being in character and doing like a like a buddy cole monologue you still felt a lot more intimate then because no one was ever playing to the audience outside of that i just you just never saw that that's that's you know what that's very true and and i think that that again speaks to the vulnerability mm. thing uh that you got to earlier yeah that's that's the only thing worth it in art honestly that's all i want is vulnerability and in life that's all i care about if someone is sort of being a very fake kind of person then i'm like cool that's a good start but the distraction is over let's see who you actually are as a human <laughs> yeah, and sketch comedy can very often default to that. Oh, yeah. It can very often default to just, like, I'm doing a big character. Oh, God, I hate it so fast. <laughs> or, like, not, like, committing to the acting of, like, you know, two-line parts because you're not the, you know, funny part of the sketch. Like, just, like, that kind of thing. See, that's, like, a, as opposed to my biggest complaint is that I don't think that just making a mess is inherently funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so much of sketch... I, I, What did I recently say? I was like, it's like every sketch comedian saw that... Uh, saw that one the state sketch about the pope coming and then just decided that making a mess is the funniest thing they could possibly do for the next 20 years oh no oh it's so sad which is fair because that was the funniest thing the state could possibly do. <laughs> uh, but like <laughs> you can't repeat that you can't repeat the magic and and wonder of uh the pope's visit <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely interesting to see the directions that people go with it all, too. Just, like, the, the L.A. sketch scene is such a weird thing as, in itself. Just it really For is. such a long time, it was just ignored completely, and then it kind of found its own voice in specific places and kind of boring another. But, I mean, at the end, a lot of it was like, well, maybe they'll see us for SNL. And I was like, no, no one, I don't care. <laughs> like, you can you can really tell, and I feel like it's the same same with the improv scene here. Like, you can really tell when a group is in it for sort of the love of the game mm. versus we're doing improv because our agent said you should have an improv tick on your resume. Oh yeah. It's or, or even just the amount of people who are just doing it to get it right versus the people who are doing it to expand the art form and try out new things. Everyone in LA feels like they're trying to get it right so they can get an on Harold team so that they can get scenes, so they can get their career and then they can get money and not worry about starving to death. So I get it fear is real but at the same time art is nice so it's a tough call yeah well i mean hey the kids they started in theater sports which 
still exists. So yes, amazing, absolutely. I love that. I love that there's like comedy sports out here too. So like there can be comedy as a uh, improv as a uh, competitive sport. That's <laughs> so. Which LA is all about comedy as a competitive sport. So. <laughs> oh lord, yeah, it's a good, it's a fair call. <laughs> That's where the super ego guys started too. At the comedy sports out here. Oh, really? Out here? They, that's amazing. Yeah, I've been to it maybe once or twice out here. Uh, I was I was doing like a, a two-prov tournament that got canceled because no one brought any audience members. <laughs> it was beautiful. I was like, we could still just, I don't know, do improv for each other like normal humans. And they're like, no, no, if there's no voting, we can't do the show. That's so funny. It was beautifully awful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best improv set I've ever done was an hour and a half, and it was for one person, our coach. Oh, I love it. But it still was, like, the best, most, like, transformative improv experience I ever had. Oh, yeah. No, one of my favorite shows was uh, at a festival where I was on a 10-person sketch team, and we did improv for the tech person. (laughs) And each other. (laughs) Oof. Woof. It's really all it takes, though, you know? I mean, in college, I, uh, I watched... Uh, I did sketch in college because of Kids in the Hall, definitely. Like, I started a a sketch team uh, called Don't Make a Scene, because of course I did. (laughs) Um, And I remember, uh, like, I don't know. I remember being in the audience for the short-form improv team shows where there were only, like, two people in the audience, three people. And I was like, oh, I should value this. You know, this shouldn't make me hate it, you know? Um, but yeah, you were you were asking which characters I liked. <laughs> yeah, or just or just like sketches or or, or whatever. Because like I was saying, so, so much of there were so many different weird tones on this show, but it, they all felt consistent. Oh yeah, absolutely, and they they felt like they were taking risks. They were repeating things in cool ways. It was nice to have that the la- you know the live sort of laugh track sort of, uh, style thing going on. I mean the. Th- I was thinking about this beforehand, and the thing that immediately sticks out to me is just a guy who drinks so much tea that his blood has turned into tea as a character, and just being the most milk toast. Yeah, it's perfect. Like, (laughs) it doesn't need to be big. It just has to be too much tea in your blood. Like, every Kids in the Hall character is is going to be completely honest at every given moment. Yeah. Or, or like uh, one that comes to mind for me is the uh, I don't I don't even know if the character had a name, <laughs> but it was this it was this Kevin uh, McDonald character who would always like borrow things and make these big promises yes, to his yes. coworker who's played by Dave Foley, and he'd always be like, "Oh, it slipped my mind." Yeah, he had a he had an I think he had his name was something like the the promise something so some like weird title almost something like that like one of those things that you because you internally need a title for things yeah exactly (laughs) um and it's just this guy being a complete asshole and showing no accountability for it oh but never doing anything but being upfront about it completely it was so he owned it every second of the way but was also so very kind of pulled in with it. It was very internal. They're all such good actors, too. Yeah, that's that's a thing I was thinking about, is a, on a lot of sketch shows, you're sort of looking for the weak links, and you're like, oh, that's the one person that they didn't kick out before they got the show. Yeah. But on Kids in the Hall, it's like, everybody's equally great in different ways, and so you don't have to worry. You're just kind of in good hands. And and a lot of it kind of winds up sort of breaking down kind of along the the lines that Monty Python did, where you had within the six of them 
some like more connected duos right like dave foley and kevin mcdonald would often write together and so a lot of their classic sketches were just the two of them Mm. like uh the one of the first ones is this sketch where uh they're both at a diner and kevin mcdonald is trying to is describing the plot of a movie he's seen which is clearly citizen kane so good but he just can't remember citizen kane and dave foley keeps being like it's citizen kane and he just keeps getting more and more angry at him yeah and the way that that sketch culminates amazingly like uh, the the thing one of the things that i realized that i love the most about them is that they were very dark and as a kid you're kind at least i was like searching for that because it doesn't feel kid friendly but it's one of the funniest things because of that. Like, I don't see a lot of darkness in L.A. comedy, like not nearly as much as I want, especially compared to New York stuff, which I used to go to uh, during the summers because my grandma lived in Queens. So I was very grateful that they did stuff like that. They weren't afraid to, like, have Dave Foley's ear be bleeding for an entire fucking sketch. And even, like, when it would go dark, it it was never that, like, Oh, we're just trying to be edgy. We're trying to be dark. No, and like, it was just shock the audience. It was in a very like sort of not fully cartoony way, but like it was matter of fact. Yeah, it, it, like oh god, one of my favorite Dave Foley performances is this sketch where he's a polite axe murderer. Yeah, I guess Dave Foley had a lot of the dark stuff, didn't he? At least a lot of the blood related stuff because he's such a sweet boy he can get away with it exactly he had the face for it he he was the baby he was the baby for sure oh no question so yeah there's this sketch where he plays a uh just a very polite axe murderer (laughs) who's in the middle of an who was in the middle of trying to commit an axe murder but uh (laughs) realized his victim didn't have a good axe so it's him talking to kevin mcdonald as this old woman uh, just like politely being like, can I borrow your axe? <laughs> L- like, like he's asking for a, a thing of coffee. And like at the end, he, he threatens to kill her, but he's like, and, uh, Hey, don't, don't tell anybody about this or, uh, chop, chop. <laughs> and it's just like, and she's like, Oh, of course. Um, and then he leaves. And of course it ends with <laughs> Kevin McDonald pulling a shotgun out of the closet and just sitting there waiting. Yes. Oh my God. Or like even the bank robbery sketch where it's like don't do this or this will happen to you and you just shoot it just gets shot while driving yeah. it's god i mean the, yeah. something about the delivery of that stays with me forever he's do, he's doing a really weird accent in that sketch too i mean the way he says uh-oh is just so good it's just so good oh five things to do five things <laughs> to do I, I think one of the other sort of aspects of of kids in the hall that is is worth talking about is the the fact that for a, a show that was made in the, the late 80s, early 90s, how, like, openly queer-forward it was. Yeah. And, like, I do really think that there was, there was a – that show really was helpful for a whole generation of of either, like, young kids or, or you know, college students or, or whoever who were queer for, like, to see some sort of representation mm. – uh, and in a way that wasn't like the gay characters on Kids in the Hall were never like the joke was never that they were gay. And even like Buddy Cole, who was like Scott Thompson's sort of signature character, uh, who's this like just like the most flamboyant, like over the top gay dude possible. Even all of his like monologues are more just about how specifically weird this guy is or like a heartbreak this guy had mm. rather than like the joke being that he's gay. Right. And, and same with the way that like 
they would all they would all play women, but it was like yes, yeah, sometimes they would do it in the sort of like Monty Python, oh, I'm an old woman, right, sure, sort of way. But like ninety percent of the time, it was just uh, honest sketch acting. Yeah, it wasn't about that exactly. Which, to a degree, speaks not just to their performances, but to their writing. That they, the the reason that's not the joke is because that's not the joke they wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And like, I, I just. I know for me, it really helped make a lot of like, you know, growing up in conservative North Carolina, you know, you're not going to you're not going to see a lot of like gay people out and around. Mm. Um, but like it really helped to just sort of like normalize uh, that sort of that sort of thing seems like a shitty phrasing. But you know what I mean? Sure. It helped like normalize and just make that feel like just oh, just another part of life. Like, oh, yeah, they're just they're just, you know. There are comedy characters that are gay. There are comedy characters that are straight. Like it, it it's it made it seem le- like less of a, a a thing, which I think was really important. Yeah, seeing marginalized voices uh, um, reflected in art when at a young age is incredibly, incredibly important. No question. There was something in the book. I don't remember which one of them said it, but they they said that Scott Thompson very specifically because he's he's the only uh, gay man in the cast. Hmm. But, like, he's also kind of, like, the most powerhouse performer in, in that group. Yeah, the whole, all the stories about how he joined. Didn't he, like, throw donuts at them or something? <laughs> Some, something <laughs> like that, yeah. There was, there was a lot of, like, he, he seems like he was doing a lot of big, wild shit back then. Um, but somebody said that, like, his performance energy is really macho, which was a fascinating term to use, but really made sense because like even when he was playing uh, like a a gay character it was he he just has this very like aggressive sort of like manly energy confidence yeah yeah that like a lot of you know most you know gay characters you'd seen in in sitcoms or 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 sketch shows just kind of like swish around you know which fucking sucks well that's because they understood that i mean it it comes from what you're saying like yeah it of course he's not going to play uh, a gay like a swishy gay character unless that was the specific character that was written because he is a gay man and he's going to act the way he acts because that's who he is as a person it's irrelevant yeah it's <laughs> it was self-aware whenever it was happening and when yeah. and when the opposite when he was playing like very like strict businessman it mattered it felt like it mattered so much more oh yeah and it's just like i understand the term is that like oh he like plays his acting is really macho and like all his stuff is really manly but also like that means nothing yeah (laughs) oh fair yeah like that's just who he like he's just a person like that's just who he is yeah it's it's confidence it's (laughs) it's ungendered confidence (laughs) yeah oh oh absolutely and that that from everything that see that the book seems to have have said is like that's the dynamic is that Mm. The the other four of them are a lot more in their heads. And then Scott's just like, fuck it, let's get out there and, and do it and be big. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, this I think this show is just was just so important for, for lots of different reasons, uh, aside from being just unbelievably funny. I'm trying to think, are, are there just any other sketches that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Because I've got like nine of them. Yeah, there are a million. Like go we could it, we could man. go through and dissect like every single sketch and every single recurring character and all that stuff. Oh, and yeah. it, you know, that would be forever because it's millions of seasons and they were all magic. But, you know. Do you think you could, you think you could pick three? 
I, I, I think I could probably pull three. I could easily, yeah, easily, you know, uh, that we haven't even mentioned, no question. I mean, like, the businessman, uh, like, bring home a businessman sketch from Bruce McCullough, you know, where he has a businessman as a pet for his day, for a day. It's just so <laughs> fucking good. They, they did a lot of, like, generic business person sketches. Yeah, like, they very much introduced me to the concept of a concept of like, here's a doctor sketch. Here's a businessman sketch, you know, all the sketch tropes and all that. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, similarly, the, the first one I was going to mention was uh, the fur trapper sketch. Oh yeah. Which is just the, just even thinking about the visual of this sketch makes just fills my heart with joy. Um, it's uh, Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley as some like Canadian fur trappers <laughs> In, like, you know, the full-on, like, fur suits and, like, the, you know, Davy Crockett hats, and they're in a canoe. But rather than uh, trapping, you know, animals, they're trapping business people <laughs> in offices. They're specifically trapping, babe. Well, yeah. Well, that, no, I was getting there. They're, they're trapping pe- business people in offices to steal their suits. <laughs> yeah, as you say, they're specifically looking at the suits. Like, they're trapping designer suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like that's the equivalent to the fur exactly yeah and just like the image of somebody in in an office taking a step and then you see their foot in a bear trap yeah and then a a fur trapper hits him over the head with a bat (laughs) is just so the the incongruity of it is just so so funny to me yeah those were those were like the broad characters that still worked for me they were very over the top with those guys And, and like i think i think they're their sensibility allowed them to be able to to do that. The pandemic fucked up so many things. So did they announced they were going to have another kids in the hall like reunions thing, but then it wasn't it like I don't know if it was supposed to shoot last year or it seems like it never came out. Do you know what's up with that? It's shooting right now. Yeah, they did some recent good ex- uh, some good announcement stuff for Amazon Prime. It was very exciting. Oh yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah, I was trying to remember who it was for. Yeah, this technically will bring them, I believe, to six seasons and a movie, which is weird. <laughs> Oh, damn, you might be right, yeah. What's it called, Brain Candy? Yeah, Brain Candy. You guys haven't talked about that yet. I have to rewatch that, I do, just to see how it feels now. I was definitely way too young Mm. for Brain Candy. Uh, Brain Candy is far and away the darkest thing they ever did, like, traditionally kind of dark. (laughs) Um, And it, it, like, it's a satire of, like, the prescription drug industry in the 90s. Um, but like, yeah, I was like seventh, eighth grade when I saw it and I, I just like fully over my head. Oh, sure. No, un- relatable. Definitely. You know, it's, I'm sure I'd have to revisit it to fully get it at this point. Did you watch, um, death comes to town? I watched the first, maybe two of them. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time getting into it. Same. I was wondering if it was me or them. I couldn't decide if I had just kind of outgrown their style or if they... It could be both. Yeah, it's very possible. (laughs) Yeah, it was just landing very flat, and I don't know why. Yeah, Death Comes to Town was uh, the sort of most recent kind of reunion thing they did. And this, I was in college when this came out, so I think it was like 2009, 10, somewhere in there. Um, and it was a mini series that was like, I think a murder mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Small, small town kind of murder mystery thing where death was a character at some point. And there were some characters that were kind of fun, but there weren't. And I think there were like a couple from the show, but not really. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it felt like they were doing the beats of having characters, but they weren't really paying them off in funny ways. 
It, 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 I feel like it got compared to uh, League of Gentlemen. Sure, of course. Well, small, small weird town, of course. Characters. Yeah, small <laughs> weird town where there's only five people. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why I couldn't get it, couldn't get too deeply into it as much as I wanted to. Yeah, I'm really curious what the new season is going to be like based on yeah. based on that. I'm very. I, I hope it's not. I hope it doesn't feel too much like fan service because that's what people go for. But. You know what? I'm just happy they're doing it. It's just nice to see them all in the same picture. <laughs> it really is. Like every every time I I've seen a picture of them, that's clearly a new photo. It's just like, oh, there they are. Yeah. <gasps> you know, I I'm mean, back. honestly, that's that has been the nice thing about living in L.A. One of the nice things is that you get to see a lot of them just in the wild. Oh yeah, like I, I saw Bruce McCullough do stand up a couple years ago. Yeah, like, same. Like oh. I think unannounced on a show. Oh, I love it. Or maybe he was. It was. It was a. Zach Galifianakis show at Dynasty Typewriter, uh, where then John C. Riley showed up and did a bunch of uh, ragtime songs. It was a weird night, but it was rad. <laughs> That's perfect. That makes so much sense to me some, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen everybody but McKinney around town, and it's been comforting. I, I saw Mark McKinney on a train once back from Comic-Con, and I was just like walking from the bathroom back to my seat with that sort of walking against the train momentum so i'm already going sort of faster than i would be and just go through like a little switchback and there's mark mckinney just like chilling looking out the window looking at his phone i'm like oh hey big fan he's like oh thanks and then i just kept on going that's so wonderful i love it i've seen dave foley at concerts before um oh, yeah. and i saw um i saw kevin mcdonald in the halls of io west and i just kind of had a moment where I was like, I don't know how to say words. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it sounds about right. It was perfect. Oh, too good. Mm, no, I don't know if I've seen all of them perform. I, I definitely I've seen one of Scott Thompson's solo buddy Cole shows. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I always always wanted to check one of those out. Yeah, he, he was workshopping a show called Après le Deluge. Yeah. Oh, heard about that. Which is the most fucking buddy Cole thing he possibly could have done. There, God, there's a moment in. Uh, there's a documentary about one of their reunion tours called Same Guys New Dresses. And there's a there's a part in there where Scott is workshopping his 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 buddy Cole monologue for the show and I don't remember which one of them is but says it but they're like Scott it's it's 28 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> which is like the most buddy Cole thing possible. I love it. Yeah, I remember. I definitely remember making my parents take me to see one of their reunion shows in like Phoenix when I was growing up. <laughs> we yeah, we saw them. I think it would have been two thousand seven. I think in the spring. Oh, that's awesome! When they were doing that tour, uh, where they they came to New York City uh, during uh, New York Comic Con, and me and a bunch of my nerd friends and Beth. Uh, Saw them after a long day of Comic-Con, and it was rad. Wait, who? Kids in the Hall. We did? Yeah. Okay. In college. After uh, uh, after New York Comic-Con one year, we walked yeah, up to the... That would have to be way more specific. <laughs> the thing about things that I've done after a day working at Comic-Con is that I remember approximately none of them. <laughs> it was the last time it was in the spring, which I think would have been 2008. Fucking, I don't, I, 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 I do not remember the year 2008. So I believe you, but I do not remember this show. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it was, it was real good. And like 
just being in a room full of people and hearing the first notes of that theme song mm. like even just saying it out loud i'm kind of getting chills about it of course yeah it's it's in the bones at some point the best stuff ends up in the bones <laughs> absolutely oh that's actually maybe the last thing we should discuss is the the music for the show mm. was done by this group shadowy men from a shadowy planet um who was just like some friends of theirs <laughs> uh from canada who like when they were doing their like they used to do weekly live shows at, at the, some little club in in Toronto, which is where they sort of like kind of made their name, uh, and like they were just the house band, and like I think half the one, one of the reasons Kids in the Hall works as well as it does with all of these different formats and and styles and two camera pieces and and things like that has a lot to do with the the consistency of this you know like surf rock that plays in between the sketches accompanied by just like this really moody black and white footage of them with no sound, just like dicking around in Toronto. Um, And it really, for, for whatever reason, that particular alchemy of things makes it feel incredibly unified. Yeah, that's absolutely. I love that. That's a great call. Um, plus uh, there was a lot of feelings, uh, associated with it. It had like a very punk feeling to it in a lot of ways too. Like I know, uh, I know, uh, Scott Thompson and Paul Bellini had that queer core punk band, uh, mouth Congress. I want to watch that documentary so bad. Oh, I've never seen it, but I listened to all their stuff on Bandcamp, and I went, this is terrible, but I'm glad I listened to it. <laughs> like it's good to, the feeling of have listened, of having listened to it is really good enough for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I even when I heard about it, I, I was like, I can't imagine this is particularly good. Yeah. But I would watch a documentary about it. Hell yeah. The Brandon Beck story. <laughs> I don't think this is good, but I'd walk a documentary about it. I kinda couldn't care less about Pearl Jam, but I saw the Pearl Jam documentary on opening day and that shit whipped. I can support that. I absolutely can. <laughs> I can't. I can't support Eddie Vedder in any way. Yeah, that's also a good thing, honestly. <laughs> I, I mostly just support his speech at the end of Walk Hard. I forgot about that. I didn't realize he was in Walk Hard. Yeah, he uh, he it, he inducts Dewey Cox into the uh, Music Hall of Fame. I don't remember that happening either. Unlike you, I only saw the movie the one time you made me. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. Well, and, and it was a beautiful ride, regardless. That's one. Of, that's one of my favorite movies. It's so. It's so fucking good. Yeah. It was. It felt like a. It felt very funny and dark and interesting and good. Uh, and I love it when that happens. I'd also like to point out, though, that Brandon knows all of this shit about sketch comedy music, but still nothing about early 2000s popular music. Oh, nope. It's time to catch up. I know. There's too much There's too much Eben Schletter in my head and not enough <laughs> My Chemical Romance. <laughs> it's true. That's not the worst thing. That's Eben Schletter. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I listened to Spontaneation. I remember that. Like, every time I hear him play piano, it just blows my mind how how amazing a listener he is. Yeah, and every time I hear the piano opening to the Black Parade, it blows my mind, and I know that I'm about to have a fucking good time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I should also mention, speaking of all this music stuff, uh, I should mention the Chicago band uh, called The Eradicator. Eradicator! Yes, they dress up like Bruce McCullough's character from that sketch, and they play songs like You Know Too Much About Me Already and Eradicator, and their music videos are fucking great. That's amazing. It's I'm so glad that I'm so glad a band patterned them their entire career around a sketch. 
That's all right. We let people base their entire personalities around things like liking IPAs or, you know, digital IP. So whatever. Oh, God, it's true. It's 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 scary when they. Yeah, maybe that's the thing is it's better when people do it in an esoteric way. Well, sometimes if they're not monstrous about it, I hope this band isn't monsters. <laughs> I hope that about every band. Somebody tweeted at the Kids in the Hall Twitter account, which is becoming more active now that they're shooting and there's like they've been posting some pictures from the set of and it's just like oh yeah there's scott thompson dressed as a woman and it feels like nothing has changed in this rules oh the best but somebody sent them a tweet about uh they found a cd by like a really obscure like ottawa punk band called whole lot of milka <laughs> which comes from this sketch where like the joke of the sketch is just kevin mcdonald Reading the like ingredients on a milk thing and just being like, whole lot of milk. <laughs> uh, and then talking about Belle Biv DeVoe. Yes. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. I don't know why that's funny, but it's, it's the fucking. I've, I've thought about Belle Biv DeVoe for 20 years. Yeah. Some things don't leave your brain. Like, uh, don't put salt in your eyes. It just doesn't. <laughs> it don't put salt in your eyes. Always put salt in your eyes. <laughs> Office submarine. Oh my god! Office submarine. Yeah, it's there forever. That's the best part. <laughs> I I just wish it was streaming somewhere convenient. Oh, that would be so nice. That's because it, it, I I think it was on CISO when when we could CISO CISO. Oh, okay. It still bums me out how there was so much good. He's just sad old... that CISO's gone. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. he's like... just being a CISO simp. Don't worry about it. Say what you were going to say. <laughs> I, I, do, I do simp CISO, and I will say so. And I don't give a quibby about what you think. Oh, no. I wish I could kick you off this stream. <laughs> old, just gotta keep powering through. <laughs> there, there are a lot of old uh, British and Canadian shows on, on CISO that, like, finally were all streaming somewhere for the first time in, like, a million years, like Bottom or The Young Ones or Black Books. Oh, yeah, I have those all and, on DVD. <laughs> yeah, and now they're all just nowhere. And it's a bummer. Well, if you want to borrow any of my DVDs, please let me know, unless you don't have a multi-region DVD player, in which bad news about black books. <laughs> that was on Hulu for a long time. It might. It might. I think, it, I think I saw that it was, actually, but I'm not 100%. That's where I saw it every time I've watched it. Oh, such a good show. But if not, like, I mean, definitely, quote, quote, disclaimer, don't pirate tv people children but that might be also how i watched it yeah good when when there's only one way that something's available at that point i'll make it a pass i'll give it a pass yeah uh during the pandemic i've mostly just been catching up on old sketch shows that i never saw before oh yeah uh, it's been fascinating like all the mitchell and webb stuff oh yeah number wang oh yeah absolutely i do love a good number wang joke oh so 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 good and yeah it, it's just been nice to see what i missed like i I watched like the new Mr. Shows and I went, oh, these were terrible bad news. <laughs> really? I, I, I liked them. I think that there were the, the thing that hit me most is that they weren't that old, but they were old enough to have some definitely problematic stuff in them. And That's I fair. felt really bummed out until I realized that things were that <laughs> white dudes didn't realize stuff for a really long time and still haven't. And, Oh, it's such a headache. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of like stand-up specials during this from Netflix because I didn't have Netflix until the pandemic, which is its own weird story. 
Um, but they've all of the specials have been <laughs> just full of problems. Well, it's like when I when I saw uh, Spiral from the Book of Saul. <laughs> uh, the thing that sort of surprised me is they spend the first twenty something minutes of that movie before it really gets goopy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just trying to show that like Chris Rock's character is kind of an asshole with bad outdated views about everything Mm. and basically what they do is just have him do like chris rock stand up from 1996 but do it but like do it in a squad car or like with some other undercover cops and (laughs) it's like oh it makes him look real bad oh no that's hilarious yeah guys the media that we consume doesn't always age well and all we can do is accept and acknowledge that and then try to you know take it within the context of the time and do better yeah, and call and call shit out when it deserves to be called out. <laughs> Kids in the Hall has actually aged pretty well from from what I've rewatched. Thank goodness. Yeah, I mean that I, I'm I think I'm glad that it informed my sense of humor so much because I think that a lot of the things that I do age incredibly well because I keep it in my friggin' lane. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Good advice. Keep it in your lane. It's so helpful. Canadian sketch comedy is very milquetoast and weird. and like <laughs> Except for SCTV, which was problematic upon rewatch, yeah. but it was also the 70s. Yeah. What wasn't problematic in the 70s? Great question. Dancing? Wait, no, probably still terrible. <laughs> nope. You, you ever seen Saturday Night Fever? Oh, truth. Oh, God. It's, it's <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I've never I've never done like a full SCTV rewatch and now definitely have no interest in it. Yeah, don't don't. There is a lot of really good stuff in SCTV and a a lot of the like a lot of the shit that does come off as kind of like racist or 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 just like of the time. Uh it, it does it 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 has never felt like mean-spirited at least. For for what that's worth, sure. You know, ignor- ignorance versus active racism definitely exactly. different bad things. Definitely. Oh yeah, and like if you looked at any other sketch comedy show from the seventies, that was probably happening too. Sure. We just don't remember those shows because they didn't have Eugene Levy and Catherine <laughs> O'Hara and John Candy and uh, Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas and Martin Short and uh, Harold Ramis. Yeah, I mean it's all just watching with one hand over your eye. <laughs> yeah, basically, and musical guests the Cranberries. Aw, the best. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Cozy, thank you so much for, uh, taking this trip down into, uh, I was trying to remember the name of the place where Simon and Hecubus hang out, but I could not pull it. Oh my god, yes. Oh. Could not pull it, um, even with a cursory Google search. Um. I wouldn't even know where to begin. That's fair. To search for that. But, uh, if people wanted to, uh, find more Cozy Orland content on their internet, or hopefully soon their real lives. Uh, how could they do that? That's a great question. I have three paragraphs worth of plugs. I'll try and make it not terrible. Hooray! <laughs> so uh, the main one is for me. Uh, for me, is my film podcast. You need to see this. Similar title to this show. <laughs> a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll let it. We'll let it Thank slide for now, Orlin. Thank goodness. I appreciate it. Uh, you pronounced that correctly once and incorrectly twice, and I am not calling you out on it. You're doing great. We're killing it. We're doing good work here. Oh, I thought I, I thought I said it, Orlin every time. Fair enough. You said you said Orlen is the wrong way, Orlen is the right way, and you got Orlen the last time. You're doing great though, don't you worry. Oh wow. I, I just don't I, worry about the last vowel. That's it. Yeah, I I just I just I just understood the finesse. I'm like, oh I thought I was saying the same thing, but I realized I was in fact saying two different things. Oh yeah, no, it's just like New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, fair. Where you also ignore a lot of vowels. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> 
<laughs> a, lot, a lot of vowels, some consonants, all the things. This is a no vowel husned. Ooh, I like it. Uh, so yes, um, you need to see this film podcast. I host it with Luce Tomlin Brenner, and every week one of us tries to convince the other one to watch a movie that they've never seen before, which is a lot of fun. You, All right. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Spotify, and a bunch of social media platforms and junk. Got any uh, juicy ones coming up? Um, it's a surprise. Uh, we just put out one on the history of future folk, which was a lot of fun. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a, a great indie. Such a good indie gem uh i also host a monthly twitch show called quarantine date night where couples do improv while quarantining the quarantine part is technically done but since we still can't see improv anywhere as of this recording it's still very exciting to see two people doing improv in a single zoom box wow i 100 percent will tell you please never invite us to do that (laughs) okay that's good info (laughs) no i think i think you should no i think you should i think i think it would be good (laughs) Not even a little bit. I have such a terribly long list of every couple I could think of. And I was like, oh, I can book this for much longer than a virus will be attacking us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's happening yeah. every fourth Wednesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific on Twitch at twitch.tv Sweet Dalai Lama. And the third thing and final thing I'm plugging is that I also host the Pack Theater's weekly online improv jam, The Cyber Jam, every Monday, 7 p.m. Pacific. If you want to do improv in it, like us on Facebook and find the Zoom link in our Facebook events. Boom. Cyber Jam, Cyber Jam. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Please come and do our theme song. Right. <laughs> what about you, Brandon? <laughs> I don't have much else to plug <laughs> except for my two bands and website. <laughs> Brandon Beck You're gonna dot get us. Bandcamp <laughs> dot com Spider Man. <laughs> Thank God no one listens to our show with, like, a fine enough tooth comb, or we would have gotten taken down for copyright violation so long ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just for the sheer amount of times I've put the entire Dunkachino song into an episode. Ooh. Um, oh. Like, like I'm about to do right now. Take it away, Dunk. Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. You gotta stop doing this. You have got to stop doing this to our listeners. Oh, that is amazing. My one of my friends, or two of my friends, two of the people from my improv team host a podcast where they're analyzing every Pacino movie. So that one is getting brought up often. Oh wow! I mean, kids from seven to seventeen are going to go wild about that. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just going to do my part, okay? Please do. <laughs> if he really did just put Dunkachino in, truly, I'm so I apologize to our listeners. Um, Anyway, uh, I still don't really have any plugs. You can find me all over the internet. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. Oh, my God. I should have talked about this when we recorded before. (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) I produced a show now. I should be plugging my show. Wait, shit. (laughs) Now you know how the rest of us feel. Starting tomorrow, July 6th at 8 p.m. Pacific time, um, uh, we are back with, we did a one-off 
a game of this back in June, uh, me and my co-producer Whitney, but uh, Chaotic Roll has been given a uh, twice-monthly slot on the Pack Theater Twitch. Uh, so, yeah, so we're going to be doing that on the first and third Tuesday of every month at 8 p.m. at uh, twitch.tv slash packtheater. Um, you get to see me do a very uh, low low budget uh top of uh where in the world is carmen san diego cheap-esque video <laughs> at the top of every show and then you will never see me again because i'm running the back end but my co-producer whitney allen is our fabulous dm we have comedians or even just D enthusiasts doesn't matter um the whole point is to just play the fastest game possible making the biggest weirdest choices with one-off characters or characters you bring from another game we've got players of all levels um it's really fun it's a one room one dungeon campaign that's all about just seeing how fast you can play and whether or not you can actually beat the monster before time runs out and we have to kick it over to the next show Ooh, so i gotta i gotta submit to that that sounds super fun chaotic roll <laughs> yay so... featuring leonard cohen <laughs> Oh yeah, we did. We did have Ezra, um, Ezra Parter playing Leonard Cohen, playing a pilgrim of some kind. I don't know. It was very multi-layered. <laughs> he heard there was a sacred chord. We're almost definitely going to have him and um, Michelle uh, Lechand back on to uh, play Georgie the Goblin again as well. Uh, it was super fun when we did it the first time. We're really excited. We're going to do it twice a month, which may be insane, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Go check that out on the Pack Theater. Other than that, you can follow me everywhere on the internet per usual at, at bscores with an underscore at the end. But the easiest way to find me is to follow the podcast online. You can follow us at IntuitPod on Twitter and hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram. We're also on Facebook if you get any mileage out of that. Thank you, as always, to Camlin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting Over is a lot like giving up off the album Falling is like flying. Great album. Go check it out. Hopefully she's going to get to tour again soon and then you can go see her play live. Also, highly recommend that hopefully she can play my show when i get it also thank you to indiesaurus for having us on the network go check out all their other rad shows that is all i've got well cozy thank you so much for uh joining us on this journey up the stairs oh also i in a cursory google search did in fact find it and it's the pit of darkness the pit of ultimate darkness perfect amazing oh absolutely evil but yeah thanks for having me no problem. I, I, I couldn't. I, I, it occurred to me like halfway through plugs. Shit, I never brought up climbing the stairs. We need. I need to talk about climbing the stairs. So I tried to get that in there. It did get mentioned before. I do remember it got a little mention at the very least. It was probably when I was on the first step. This is one that you rewatched recently, and I literally walked out of the room. I was just like, this is, why is this? Okay. <laughs> it's so good. I was I like, like, this what isn't funny, though. Crazy. This isn't this funny. It's so funny. It's amazing. I think I prefer Doe a Deer. I don't think I remember Doe Deer. Oh, it's wonderful. Look up, find Doe Deer. It's really great. It's the only reason I really, truly know that song as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, all that being said, Doe cast over. <laughs> nope. Okay. Stair cast over? St yeah, stair cast over. <laughs> <laughs>